I'm Pastor Michael Ansman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. I'd like to welcome you and to thank you for listening to our Sunday morning sermons. I hope that they're a blessing to you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So Shantae and I have been married for about uh, for five years, not about, we've been married for five years, and in that time, a lot of things have happened. Uh, I've quit one job, I've taken another, I've bought a home, replaced a few cars, taken a part-time job, become the father of two children, and if you would have asked me five years ago what my plans for the next five years were, I probably would have given you a generic answer. And before we got married, we did what, what responsible people should do. We, we planned. Shantae is a planner. I am not that big of a planner, uh, which can cause a little bit of friction because she's usually right about these sort of things and I'm wrong. It'll be fine. <laughs> she's like, no, it won't. We looked at our budget. We looked what we could afford for our, for our housing, for insurance, for our utilities, for our cell phone. You know, we found an apartment and she moved right in before we got married. And I say all this to make a point. We both knew that the wedding was coming. The rings had been purchased, the day was set, the venue reserved and the invitations had also been sent out. And in light of what was to come, we needed to prepare before the actual wedding. So once the day came, we wouldn't be prepared as best we could for everything. Right? Imagine if I waited until the day of the wedding to organize somebody to wash the dishes before returning them to the caterer. It would have been chaos. And sometimes when we read scripture, we don't quite know how to respond to what we've read. And the same holds true sometimes for sermons. And, and leading into Advent, and in being in the middle of it right now, we've been dealing with some heavy texts. It's dealing with the coming day of the Lord. Both his first coming as a child and his second coming as is, is the returning king and lord of all creation, which we've covered a lot with a lot of these readings. Last week we talked about living lives of holiness and godliness when it looks like God is inactive. And this week I'm going to focus on St. Paul's words to the church at Thessalonica, and his instructions to them at the end of the letter. And he gives them some practical steps, something that they should do as they wait, something that will help prepare them, something will help them to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Like our wedding, the day of the Lord is coming, and as we prepared, they need to be prepared as well, and us by extension. So Ray already reread it, so I'm not going to reread it this morning. We'll just go with rejoice always from verse 16. Rejoice always. This sounds like a hard one. This sounds like God is asking us to be Pollyannas. Do you know? Do you remember? Anybody remember Pollyanna? It was a book based, uh, and Disney, I think, made a movie about it with Haley Mills. She was a little girl who was always happy all the time, no matter what happened, and it annoyed everybody. And then at the end, she had a really bad accident, and she lost her happiness, and then she found it again, and everything was fine. I'm not talking about a Pollyanna-type joy, or a Pollyanna-type happiness. And we see this rejoicing always popping up again and again, in Scripture, Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, 
rejoice. Romans 5, verses 3-5 says, Through Him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Being able to rejoice in spite of or in light of something bad is a uniquely Christian trait. And it's only possible for Christians. And, and this is because, brothers and sisters, our rejoicing, it, it isn't trying to just keep a good attitude. Stay positive. Our rejoicing isn't based on temporal things. It's grounded in the hope of the glory of God to come. And rejoicing in our suffering produces that endurance. It gives us the ability to stay the course of this life. And rejoicing always doesn't mean that we should never be sad. Rejoicing doesn't mean that we should never be sad. It doesn't mean we're supposed to pretend to be happy. When somebody passes away, that's sad. When we lose someone that we love, it's sad. When things don't go our way, it's sad. When our families are stressed out with one another, that can produce sadness. Rejoicing always doesn't mean we should never be sad. We're not able to be sad anymore in our culture because everything turns us towards you have to be happy all the time. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to be unfeeling automatons, right? It doesn't mean that we're unfeeling robots, unaffected by anything. Rejoicing always means that even in the midst of sadness and our deepest pain, if we are in Christ, that he is with us and he will never leave us. Rejoicing always reminds us that we have God and God is enough. Rejoicing always reminds us that our lives are anticipatory of our lives in the age to come. Number two, St. Paul says to the church at Thessalonica, pray always. We see this echoed in Colossians 4.2, continually steadfast in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continually steadfast in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Romans 12.2, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. It sounds impossible, right, to pray without ceasing, as, as it's translated here, or praying always. Prayer is, is one of those things that, as Christians, we know we should do. We know we should pray, but many of us don't. Could it be that subconsciously we don't believe that it's doing anything for us? Have you ever had an experience when, when you tried to pray, it felt like everything you prayed just fell out of your mouth and hit the floor, like there was a force field above your head, and every word that you said to God hit that force field and then fell back down and hit the ground? I felt that way. I think we all feel that way sometimes. Then we wonder what's wrong with us. We question God's existence. We question the effectiveness of our prayers. Those times are normal. And we, when we experience them, we have to push through. And that's why structured prayer and pre-written prayers can be so helpful. They give us things to say when we don't know what to come up with ourselves. Now imagine in your marriage, 
if you spoke to your wife once a day for only five minutes? How strong would that relationship be? Right? Ray, if you turned to Sandy and only spoke to her for, for five minutes out of the day, your marriage wouldn't have lasted as long as it has, right? I wouldn't have made it five years with my wife if I ignored her for the whole day and then just gave her a narrow sliver of five minutes and said, okay, this is our time. How are you? That's great. Can you give me this? Keep that from happening. It was great talking to you. Maybe I'll talk to you tomorrow if I remember. So let me be clear here. It is not enough. Well, okay, let me put it in a kinder way. If you're praying and your prayer life consists of saying hi to God in the morning, praying over your food, and then offering up a prayer to God before you go to bed, that is a very good start. It is a very, very good start, and I would commend you for even having the presence of mind and the discipline to do that. But we can't just leave it there. Th that is an excellent starting point. But heaven forbid that that's all we do. I've told this story a gazillion times, probably. Um, but uh, I went to uh, a monastery a few years ago with a, a good friend of mine. And um, after evening prayers, we were waiting. Um, there's like a, a waiting room adjacent where, where people who come to the monastery on pilgrimage, they can sit and wait while food's being prepared. So while we're sitting uh, and the food is being prepared, uh, one of the, the, I forgot, I think he was uh, the abbot of the monastery. He came in to talk to us. And we had a really good conversation. And right before they called us to dinner, he stood up and we kind of walked to the door. And we stood there in the doorway with him. And, and I noticed something. He had in his hand what's called a prayer rope. And Christians of many different traditions use prayer ropes. And so he had it kind of in his hand down here. And I could see his thumbs working the knots in the prayer rope while he was in conversation with us. And I realized that what he was actually doing was he was trying to continue in prayer while he was in conversation with us. That's how serious they take this call to always be in prayer. Father Thomas Hopkins says this, Christians must pray. We cannot substitute anything in the place of prayer. We cannot think that prayer is anything good that we do in the sense of replacing the actual act of prayer. It is, as the Catechism says, a lifting of the mind and the heart to God. That means we cannot substitute anything else in our lives for prayer, and that takes discipline, and that takes effort. It's not going to come quickly, and it's not going to come easily. Sometimes it might, but then that can dry up and get old very quickly. Fortunately, our faith in the Christian tradition has got us covered. We have tons of resources that we can draw on to anchor and center and to discipline our lives in God in prayer. And a life of prayer, it keeps us in communion with God. And it helps to strengthen our hearts and our will against the things that assail us. Number three, St. Paul says to them, always give thanks. He echoes this in Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And always giving thanks is important because it helps us to remember that everything we have comes from God as his good gift to us. And sometimes we, we take our daily lives for granted, the good things in our lives for granted, because at the end of the day, we're all functionally materialists, and we don't believe that God interacts. We're materialists or deists. We think there, there could possibly be a God out there, but he's sort of removed from everything. He doesn't do anything. He just sits there and watches and waits as everything just kind of continues on its course. But God is intimately involved in our lives. St. John Chrysostom noting about giving thanks for what God has given us, he says, always to give thanks, this is the mark of a philosophic soul. Hast thou suffered any evil? But if thou wilt, it is no evil. Give thanks to God, and the evil is changed into good. Say thou also as Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord forever. For tell me, what such great things hast thou suffered? Has disease befallen thee? Yet it is nothing strange, for our body is mortal and liable to suffer. Has a want of possessions overtaken thee? But these also are things to be acquired and again to be lost, and that abide here. Right? So even when we experience evil in our lives and bad things happen to us, our attitude of thanksgiving to God for his goodness can transform that. And he's noting here that giving thanks is not dependent on just the good things happening to us, but that our attitude when we experience the bad, if we, in spite of them, give thanks to God, it will transform our suffering. And this is why at the end of his own life, after he was exiled and suffered for speaking against the sins of the emperors and the empresses, he was able to say as his last words as he lay dying, glory to God for all things. And... Our ultimate giving thanks is summed up or expressed in the Eucharist when we come to the table to receive of the body and the blood of Christ. And that word Eucharist means to give thanks. When we come to the table and to, the, uh, to receive the bread and the wine, we are giving thanks to God for his gift of Christ to us. Rejoice always, pray always, and always give thanks. He goes on, do not despise prophecy, test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil, and then he ends in a benediction. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. So we look at here, prophecy is inspired discourse, right? Not necessarily the foretelling of the future. I like what Calvin says here. He says that a prophet is an interpreter of the will of God and that the will of God is found in Holy Scripture. And this is not something to be despised, but something to be exercised in public worship for the good of all. But then St. Paul follows that up with test everything. We shouldn't just let the words spoken to us pass by unexamined. And you all shouldn't just listen to me because I'm your pastor. You, you should listen, obviously, because you trust that I'm what, I'm, what I'm proclaiming to you is true. But you shouldn't always take my word for it. Search the scriptures and test what I proclaim. If more people did this, I think a lot of churches would be in much better situations. If we take what is proclaimed to us and we test it according to scripture... 
and the history and the teaching tradition of the church throughout all ages, we can see if something is true and trustworthy. And St. Paul says also, abstain from evil. Hold fast to what is good. And we live in a society, in a culture, in what is evil looks like what is good, and we are told what is good is actually evil or unkind. But we are to hold to the good. We are to reject what is evil. And as we do that, as we do all of these things, as we remember to, to pray always, as we always give thanks, as we always rejoice, God will work in us. God will keep us. God will produce character in us. And we will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when Christ returns, he will find us sanctified, holy, set apart, and prepared for life in his coming kingdom. And so to our soon and coming Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting, and as all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us for today's podcast. This is Pastor Mike Lansman, and if you have any questions about anything you heard or would like some more information about our church, feel free to email me, malansman at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Zion's Stone UCC, or our website, zionstoneucc.com. We have a GoFundMe set up as well for some repairs that we need, gofundme.com slash UCC. As we continue to navigate the fallout from the coronavirus, I'd like to thank everyone for their continued generosity. It always amazes me how generous you've been. And I pray that the blessings of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be with you and would keep you. Amen.